week, if you remember, we talked about the gospel is still the focus. With all the distractions and all the different things going on, all the things happening in the world, all the things happening in our country, and things closing, things opening, uh, feeling fine but having to quarantine, you know, all of these different things that we're dealing with can get our focus blurred. The gospel is still the focus. And then... Today, we want to talk about something that was just kind of following up. The mission is still the same. Amen? The mission is Christ still the center, the gospel still the focus, and the mission is still the same. No matter what's happening around us, no matter what people are doing or saying, that his purpose is still our purpose, his mission is still our mission. If we're followers of him. Amen? Amen. That's a good interaction right there. Yeah. Okay. So in John chapter 20, verse 21, uh, he says uh, this. Jesus, this, he's already resurrected, and um, the time has come. Um, I'm going to put that verse up there here in just a second, if it will do it. Uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm stuck here. Uh, always. Okay, here we go. Because I want you to look at it, but I want you to see it. I want you to turn your Bible to John chapter 20. We're also going to look in John chapter 17. There's some other verses we're going to look at, but I want to make sure that everything we say we document with Scripture and be very careful not to take anything out of its proper context, right? But Jesus told his disciples, this is after he was resurrected, before he ascended back to the Father, he said this to them. I mean, he kept like showing up, you know, he would appear. And those must have been some nervous days for the disciples. Once that they had encountered the resurrected Jesus, I mean, they touched him. He, he, he felt real. Uh, he, you know, it was really him. He really had a body, a resurrected body. He even ate some fish one time. I've always thought that's an extra blessing, right? Just knowing that somehow brings comfort to my soul, right? But, you know, Jesus would just walk right through the wall also. He would just pop in, you know? And it's kind of like, you'd be kind of a little jumpy there for a while, that all of a sudden, God, there's Jesus. And that's why a lot of times he said, fear not, or he'd say, peace to you, right? And speaking in, in his own native language, he probably said, shalom. Uh, but he says this to the disciples. He, he said, now, catch this. This is heavy, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. I didn't know I was going to whistle that loud. <laughs> wow. This is big because I don't know what they thought Jesus was going to do, but he's about to ascend back to the Father's right hand. And there's a lot of work to be done over a vast amount of time here, but I'm sending you. Just like the Father sent me. Our purpose is still the same. His purpose is our purpose. His mission is our mission. It's the same, as I said, no matter what's going on around us. It has not changed. And it will not change until it is completed. So we've got some serious, exciting stuff going on in our world. It's not necessarily on the news. Because here's the problem. We got all these distractions today, and there's some crazy things happening in our country. We need to be praying for our nation, but we don't need to forget to be praying for our neighbors. And when we pray for those in our family, and when we're praying for someone, that means we're opening ourselves up. Lord, we're praying for different needs that they have and different things to happen in their life. But when I pray that, I'm opening myself up. Lord, can I be part of the answer that you want to send? 
Instead of just, Lord, uh, I see the need, send someone else. I want to be at least, maybe I can't help. Maybe I'm not the one, but I'm praying that either me or God put somebody in their path to make a difference, to touch lives. That's what he wants us to do. Because a lot of times, what we want to do in our nation, all of a sudden it's not been this way. You realize most people in the world don't have the freedoms that we still have. Do you know that you go through the centuries, you go through the, the, the different, you know, very, the, the millenniums of time, that most people haven't had available the resources and the freedom that what we have had over the last, you know, good bit. And what have we done with it? As the, we're responsible. Jesus said, to whom much is given, you're accountable for much. But what we a lot of times, even as Christians, try to do, are you watching this? We want to try political solutions to problems that are actually spiritual. You can't, listen to me now, political processes cannot solve spiritual problems. I don't know how in the world we think that they're just supposed to fix things. They're not going to fix things. He's designed it so that he fixes things as Our lives are touched by him, and he touches other lives through our lives. See, that's a little bit more work, isn't it? That's a little more responsibility. It's better to just blame something else. Because, see, what people need is truth. They need truth that is always true. It's never going to change, and it's never going to fail. It's truth that we're going to be accountable for one day as we stand before God. What people need is truth from God. What they need is good news. I mean, if ever before, I want to tell you, people are really wanting to hear some good news. And my question is, why aren't people more desirous of the good news? Another word for good news is gospel. Why don't people want to hear it more? I mean, this is good news. Why are people like afraid of it? Why is that? Well, it could be because those that he sent to proclaim it might be obscuring it. We might be muddying the water. We might be getting... Uh, off focus on so many other things that we're forgetting the main thing. I mean, there's a lot of things that are important, but this is the most important. And that's the problem is a lot of times we might tend to focus on things that are secondary and neglect what he says is primary. Keep the main thing the main thing. It could be we're misrepresenting it. Or it could also be that the bad news that goes with the good news, because good news isn't good news unless there's also bad news. Otherwise, it's just news. The bad news is, is that we are lost and we cannot save ourselves. And sometimes I think that's the part that people do not want to accept. Personal responsibility for their own lives and their own sin and to admit that they cannot change and they cannot save themselves totally. All they can do is reform some things. They can't be transformed. And uh, the thing about it is, is that before people out there are going to change their mind on some important issues. I mean, sometimes we're more interested in trying to legislate morality rather than actually live the morality. We're really interested and fired up about seeing Laws passed, but we're not so fired up about loving our neighbor and living out what we say we believe. Not a lot of amens there. Okay, well, I'll move on. Before people will change their minds, their hearts have to change. Right? 
And that's what happens is our heart change and we change on the inside. Our minds then will later change about a lot of important things. But first things first. And one of the first and one of the greatest truths that has ever, ever been mentioned in the universe is this truth that we just read here. That as the Father has sent him, so he is sending us. I'm stuck again, Jeff. Can you get the next slide up there? Because I want you to see this as well as hear it. One of the greatest truths in the universe is mentioned here. The Father sent the Son into the world. And not only did he send the Son into the world. Next slide. (laughs) Jeff, I'm just not getting there, buddy. I don't know what the problem is. It's on. It's got battery. Uh, Something's happening. Um, I make sure I've got this switch right. Okay, I'm going to try this. Ready? Sometimes inadvertently we hit a different switch on here and yeah, okay, that's what it was, wasn't it? Yeah, well, it's my fault totally. There was nothing wrong with the electronics. The computer was not hung up. I had a wrong switch. Okay, so I'm taking ownership of it right now because I don't want you to think these guys that work so hard back there just had messed it up. It was me. They're always trying to straighten me out. So, and the devil, we blame the devil. The devil's always trying to distract. And I'm easy to distract. Did y'all know that? Because this is the greatest truth in the universe. Remember? That the father sent the son into the world. And now he's sending us. So if the enemy's trying to distract from making this point, it ended up just emphasizing it. Okay? Let it sink in, because this is what it's all about. This is the first and the foremost essential of the faith. We believe Christ is the one sent into the world by God the Father, that he was the one provided as the perfect sacrificial lamb for our sins. He was the solution for our sins. From Genesis to Revelation, the Bible teaches that God created us with that free will, that we could serve him or we could reject him, and we've all rejected him, we've all sinned, and that the wages of sin is what? Death. Death came into this world, really into this whole universe, as a part of the curse on our sin. We brought it here. All the imperfection All of the the things like that happened because of a penalty of sin. And God's very nature is, the Bible teaches, we've talked about this so many times, is that God is absolutely perfect. God is apart from anything else in all of his creation. He is set apart. He is absolutely perfect. Another word that applies to that is holy. We use that word sometimes. We're talking about God is holy. We're talking about how set apart he is and how perfect he is. God is holy. The Bible's clear on that. And that means he could not merely overlook sin. Because if God were to overlook even one sin and allow one sin or one sinner into his presence, then God would no longer be absolutely perfect. He would no longer be holy. Heaven wouldn't be absolutely perfect either. It would be defiled. So in the beginning, right after Adam and Eve sinned, he promised that someone was coming. The seed of the woman would come and crush the enemy's head. And then obviously we see through Cain and Abel, and then it's spelled out later on, that God developed a temporary way that sinful people could approach a perfect God. Are you with me? 
Through the blood of lambs and bulls and goats, they were provided as a temporary covering for sin and as a reminder of the wages of sin. And it had to be a certain type. It had to be without spot or blemish. There were all these things that were object lessons, and God told them they could do this, so they had to come to a point of faith of trusting God to do what God said. Not just jumping through the hoops, but because I trust you, I will do this. It was out of faith. And as these were sacrificed and the blood ran out, it was a picture of sin's penalty and how that this was a substitute for the punishment we deserve. And while those things and those offerings displayed human beings' sin and our inability to approach God on our own, those things never did away with the sin. The Bible was clear on that. It still was not an adequate sacrifice or payment for sin because it had to continually be repeated. But also, all the way through the Old Testament, as these things were repeated, they constantly were pointing to a great deliverer who was prophesied to be coming soon and would deliver mankind from sin. That one is Jesus. And when he appeared on the scene, John the Baptist said, Behold, the Lamb of God. Did you hear that? God sent his own Lamb who takes away the sin of the whole world. That's who Jesus is. And he's the only one that was qualified, as we say over and over, because it's true. The only one qualified to do that as fully God and also fully human at the same time. He existed as God, the God the Son, co-equal and co-eternal with the Father. But he humbled himself and he lowered himself and he voluntarily came into time, into the flesh, on planet Earth. To be born and to live here. God himself came down and walked among us in the flesh. He came as one sent by the Father. And to do the Father's will. That's what he said. I haven't come to do my own thing. But even though he's co-equal with the Father. He said when he came. I've come as a servant to do my Father's will. And that's why he tells us in John chapter 6 verse 38. Jesus said this, I have come down from heaven. He left heaven, folks. Think about it. This baby born in the manger existed throughout the ages. His was a voice that said, let there be light. But he came down from heaven. And he said, I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. He came to do the will of the Father. And he never did anything independent of that. And in John chapter 17, just a few pages before where we read the text in John 20, is, is what I call the real Lord's Prayer. You have recorded by John, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, a prayer that Jesus prayed on the eve of his crucifixion. It's sometime in here from the upper room to the garden, right here somewhere, Jesus prays this prayer. And he prays for his disciples. They still don't understand everything, do they? You, are you with me? Because most of us here have read these things. Most of us in this building, at least, that I'll see, have believed these things deeply. And Jesus is talking to his disciples. He's praying for them. They don't understand everything that's about to happen. And their world is going to be rocked. And they're going to fall apart. But they will receive strength. They will receive supernatural strength. And in John chapter 17, verse 18, Jesus prays this in that prayer. He says, as you, as he's talking to the Father, are you with me? 
He says, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. He prays the exact same thing that he later said to them in the text that I read earlier in chapter 20. That as the Father has sent him, now he's sending them. So but I want to ask you, was Christ only speaking of them? Was he only praying for those 11? No. He was also praying for you and for me. And I know that because as I look at the context of this prayer, he was praying for those who would believe after them. Now follow me on this. Uh, Down in verse 20 in John 17, he says, he's praying, he says, I do not ask for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That comes all the way down to us because Peter, James, and John, and, and, and Andrew, and Bartholomew, and these guys went, and they did this as they were sent by Jesus, as they shared the good news, and, and, and as they helped people become followers of Christ. Then those people told others, and those people told others. And in a, a short amount of time, people were going all over the known world. And then after a while, there were these there were these pagan tribes of people in Europe and in other places uh, that, that received the gospel. Some of those that have that kind of heritage, those were some of your ancestors. The word spread, spread all the way down through Africa, through Asia, all around. And because of these guys and the people that they told and the people that they told, I can only trace my direct line back so far. Right, I actually have a portrait of my great-great-grandfather in my office there. And I read some things about him. And then, and then, and then I've seen Bibles that belong to great-grandparents and grandparents. And, and that, that somewhere somebody reached a bunch of pagans like my family. It's because of these guys and the ones that came after them that you and I have heard today. And then now we're the ones... That are telling others. So when he said this. He was actually praying for you. You can put your name right in there. Not just for these. That those who will believe on me through their word. That traces all the way down to us. Somehow say hallelujah. Amen. Yeah. All right. In the next verse. Verse 21. It says. Here's another thing that he prayed. That they all may be one. We've got a lot of work to do right there. Because we're so petty. And we're so fleshly. I tell you, most of the problems and the arguments and the things are of the flesh, not of the spirit. But he says that they may be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us. So that, why? That the world may believe that you have sent me. (laughs) This whole thing of our being one and the way we behave as well as the way we believe in the eyes of the world around us is what he's going to use to go a long ways to help the world, that's the lost world, believe That he is who he says he is. It could be that one reason why so many people are so lost. Is that this this prayer right here still needs some answering. We're not one in Christ. Like we should be. And so all of us who have been saved by Christ are now sent out by him. Listen, there is no elite class in the church who are the only sent ones. We're all sent by him. We've all got different gifts and different callings and different opportunities, different jobs. And we are all equally important to God. We are all sent. You are as important to God as any pastor or any evangelist or any whatever. We just all have different responsibilities. If we're going to reach this community, my 
The key for me is the equipping the saints to do the work of the ministry. The key to reaching in every nook and cranny of where we live is you. But somehow or another, we got the idea sometime in years past as churches began to get a little more, you know, uh, stability and established in our nice little communities. And they would actually have a pastor that they call full time. And then pretty much it's like that's what we're paying that guy to do. All of our serving, all of our witnessing, all of our this, all of our that. And I'm telling you, this guy can't do it. (laughs) I'm not even got very many spiritual gifts. And now I'm getting some nods and some amens. Yeah, I don't. I don't. But, but do you see how a lot of people just think that, well, there's certain ones that do this. But we're all in some way sent by him. All of us touch different people's lives in different ways. There are some people out there that the best way that Christ is going to touch their life is through you. And not just what you believe, but how you behave. It might be in situations that you don't want. It might be when things don't go your way and when bad things happen, when they see how you react to that, as well as how blessed you are. You see what I mean? This is where it gets real. So this is very important. This was so important, Jesus prayed about it before going to the cross. And it's recorded right here so we could read it. Not only uh, that, that, that our, does our Lord plead about our being saved, but about our being sent. And in this prayer, basically, if you look at John 17, he makes two petitions. There's really two big petitions that Jesus the Son makes to the Heavenly Father. Okay, And uh, so the first one, if you look back up, is in verse 11, where he says that he asked him to keep through his name those he had given to him. And so we're praying for our protection. And I need that, amen, that uh, we can't serve God unless he preserves us. We can't lead others uh, to him if he's not leading us. So we need that. So he prayed for protection and that they may be one, as we've already read. Then the other thing was in verse 17 when he said, sanctify them through your truth. Look at verse 17. I'm not put that verse up there, but look at it in your Bible. Chapter 17, verse 17. Sanctify them. That means set them apart. That word sanctify, by the way, means to set apart, to consecrate, to make holy. That we're set apart for God. So he says, set them apart, sanctify them in the truth. That's what we need, to be set apart. And we can't go into the world unless we're first set apart, sanctified by Christ. God can't use an unclean vessel. We've got to be consecrated. We've got to be cleansed. How are we sanctified? How does this happen? Through his truth. The more truth you believe and the more truth you practice, the more set apart you will be. And the more usable you will be and I will be for God. What is the agent God employs in doing that? His word. Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. His word. You know, a steady diet of this. We've got to dive into the word of God. There's no shortcut. We don't have any time today. We barely even want to hear uh, uh, the word of God proclaimed and taught, you know, in church. But we're not getting into the word. So it's no wonder we're not very set apart. It's no wonder we're not making a very big impact. Because I need it to impact me before it impacts others around me. We somehow want something to just happen on a national level where the Word of God impacts people. But we're not as concerned about it impacting our own life and through us, those around us. I mean, think about this. I've actually, some have been called out on this and several others, that there are people, there are Christians I know, that have spent more time praying and maybe even fasting 
over the election that we had than they have over the fact that part of their family and their neighbors are lost. Now, it's important to pray about everything, but we're talking about keeping the main thing the main thing. Do you see? It's it's easy to be activist in something without letting the Word of God activate us in our hearts. And so the world, they don't know the Lord. The world out there, I don't know why we expect people who don't know the Lord to act like they do. You're in darkness. They need the light of God's truth. And it's going to come through the ones that he sent. There's no other option. So this is what he wants. His word to work to set us apart. That's why he says in verse 19, and the New Living Translation right here really captures the essence of the original Greek. And it does a good thing. Instead of just trying to sanctify myself so I'll be sanctified. This is really what it's saying in the way we understand it. I love this translation where he says in John 17, 19, As I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so they can be made holy by your truth. He said, I'm setting myself apart as a sacrifice so they can be set apart. I'm telling you, Jesus went to a lot of trouble to save us and to send us and to cleanse us and to use us. Now, the Lord looks at his mission as seriously and looks at our mission, I should say, as seriously as he looks at his own. Did you know that? We don't take it very serious sometimes, but he does. Our mission grows out of his. And we can learn a lot about it by considering how the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. He says, as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. So look at how the Father sent the Son. Christ was sent by the Father on a mission, and he perfectly and completely fulfilled that mission. And now he's sending us to carry on his mission. It's not our mission. It's his mission that we've been called in upon. We refer to this when he told the disciples and he tells us about this mission. We call that the great commission. He is commissioning us to carry on the mission. That is one of the best places to find that is in Matthew chapter 28 verses 19 through 20. And uh, read it with me. He says, go therefore. Here's what he told his disciples. Go, go. And that word literally means as you proceed from place to place. Go, therefore, and make disciples. And that word there is a verb form of the word disciple, that we're literally to make people, uh, uh, help people to become disciples. And he says, of all nations, of all the ethnos, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And he says, and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He is with us. Uh, But he says, I'm sending you and I'm going to be with you. This is the great commission. Some people say instead of the great commission, we might should call it the great omission because we neglect it so much. This is what we're to do. And I tell you, if we're not careful, it's so easy to be gathered in our Sunday clusters and churches all over America and other places. And we're just doing our Sunday thing and we're not paying any attention to the reason why we're here, the purpose why we're here, and the mission of what are we doing here. Why are we here today? Is it to be better equipped so that I can live closer to Christ and then that I can be a better witness for him? Well, I don't know how to talk to people. You don't have to. You have to just live your life in front of people who are going to be around you. And the light is going to shine. People are going to see as you go through things in life, they're going to think, what is it that's different about you? They're going to be drawn not to you, but to something about you. 
And then they're going to find out who that is. It's the God who created the universe and who created them and who loves them and who wants them to know him. This is how it spreads. Uh, Now, the word commission means an authorization to perform certain duties or to be empowered. Authority to act for another. That which one is authorized to do for another. So we have been authorized and we are also empowered by our Lord to carry on the mission that he has. It's his mission. We are entered into it. Uh, So our mission grows out of his. And as we look at his mission, we look at how he was sent and why he was sent. Why did he say he was sent? Well... First of all, he said, I'm going to do my Father's will. And the Father's will was that lost people be saved. All people were lost in sin. To save. That is the number one thing that people... This is the biggest need that any human being has. And that is to be saved from ourselves. To be saved from sin. To be saved from darkness. To be saved from eternal separation from God. We need to be delivered. Saved. That's why Jesus said in Luke chapter 19 verse 10... The Son of Man, referring to himself, has come. Why? Why did you come? He says, to seek and to save that which is lost. And I'm telling you, he not only saved me, but he had to seek me. It's like he didn't give up. I ran from him in my young life. Many of you have, but he kept seeking me. There, there are times that we want to give up on him, but he never gives up on you. Amen? He said, I've come to save. Listen, he didn't come as a philosopher. Are y'all still with me here? Okay, good, good. He didn't, I'm just like, okay. He didn't come just like as a philosopher. Though as a philosopher, he could have solved all the problems of the universe. He could have ruled the whole realm of human thought more so than Plato or, or, or Aristotle. But praise be to God, he came to be a savior and save us from our sins. No one else could do that. He could have confounded everyone with his knowledge, but he didn't do that. He wasn't sent to be an inventor or discoverer, even though all the inventions and all the discoveries of all time could have been revealed at once by him. Neither did he come to be a politician or a social worker. And you know, Jesus never even alluded to the horrible things that Caesar was doing at that time. Have you thought about that? Charles Spurgeon was a great prince of preachers, as they called him. I have volumes and volumes of his sermons in my office, in my study. I started reading his sermons when I was 16 years old. He lived in the 1800s and pastored a church in London, England. And so he died in like 1890, 92, somewhere in there. But Spurgeon's one of the great preachers of all time. Spurgeon said this. There was a lot of turmoil going on in the world he lived in, in England and London in those days. He said this, quote, Point to me a single instance in which Jesus interfered with the government of Pilate or Herod. Had he anything to say about the tyranny of Caesar? When he takes Caesar's penny in his hand, he simply says, Render unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God's. He was none of Caesar's, for he belonged to God and to God alone. Should not Christ's people take heed that they follow Christ in this unity of aim and purpose? He goes on to say, this I know. I am not sent to preach to you a new philosophical system, nor to advocate any political party, nor to meddle with any of those social matters which can be better managed by others. It is mine to preach the gospel of the grace of God, and this one thing I do, end quote. We must never get away from this one thing. And that's the mission, the gospel of God. 
There are people out there in our world that we see that are spewing out all kinds of hate and all kinds of vile things and destructive things to our society. And fortunately, as Americans, we have an opportunity to vote and to be involved in the process. And as good citizens, we should very well be. But how many times do you find people praying for those who they view as moral or political or spiritual or religious enemies? How often do you think when young Saul was running around causing Christians to be arrested, causing them uh, to be thrown in prison, causing some of them to be killed, how many people were like, Lord, get him out of here? Or were they like, Lord, change his heart? Who would have ever thought that the biggest enemy the church had at that time would become the greatest preacher? No one could have guessed that. No one would have imagined that. Some were probably praying, Lord, strike him down. And the Lord did on the road to Damascus and saved him. So then what happens years later when Saul, who became Paul, comes to share a missionary uh, journey and to preach and to share in your congregation? Wait a minute, I know that guy. He caused my uncle to be thrown in prison. Would you forgive him? I'm just telling you, these are real issues the early church had to face. What about us? Is there somebody out there that you just want them to fail? You want them to just go down to the pit? That doesn't come from the Lord. That as we stand for truth, that we love those in darkness, and you never know who God's going to rescue from the pit and use in a powerful way. I've seen people pray for someone that they, well, I wish they would get saved. Well, they do, and they change their heart in life, and then, then they still struggle with forgiving them for things. That's part of life. But I'm telling you, the same God that could save a sinner who's on a destructive path and who doesn't even want to believe in God at first is the same God who can change our hearts and help us get over things that happen in our families, in our community, in our churches. We got Christians that all believe to worship the Lord. They can't even sit in the same building together because they hate each other. Our Lord's got a problem with that. He says, if you can't forgive one another, don't come asking me to forgive you. He loves all his children, right? I've always loved all my children, all my grandchildren. But if one of them starts sucker punching the other one, we've got a fellowship issue. Don't come, don't come crawl up in Papa's lap if you've just been biting one of your siblings. Okay? Because I got a problem. The grandkids weren't in here to listen to that, I know. But, oh, there is, yeah, yeah, okay. (laughs) Anyway, he came to save. This is the biggest thing. This is the biggest purpose. We have got to keep realizing this is still the mission. This is what it's about. So he came to save. Let's move on through it. He not only came to save, but he came to serve. Jesus came to minister unto, not be. A lot of people today think that we're here to be served. When we get involved in church, that we're, everybody's here to just meet my needs and serve me. Jesus said, Here he is, God made flesh, and he said, I didn't come to be served, I came to serve. Where did he say that? Mark 10 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And so a lot of times we got the opposite attitude. <laughs> we want everybody to serve us. We want everybody to please us. But he said, you know, if you're a real follower of Jesus, you're going you're gonna to be working to help people be saved. And you're going to be working to serve others just like he did. Now he came to save and to serve, but he also came to teach. And we're to teach. He taught 
Uh, and somebody says, well, I don't know anything. Well, if you don't know it, don't try to tell it, okay? But you probably know more than someone. Somebody says, well, I don't know enough. You know more than somebody. You know more truth than someone. You can share what you know. Don't share what you don't know. Share what you know. And dive into the Word. That's why we need classes. That's why we need preaching and teaching and, and, and devotion time and every day spending a little time in the Word and coming together and being taught is so that this works through our life. We're nourished by it. We're equipped by it so that we can share with others. And one of the biggest ways that we teach is through our life. Our living needs to be in harmony with our teaching. One of the biggest ways, people won't listen to anything I say as much as they will see what's happening through your life. That's what it's about. It is so much more powerful. So he came to save and to serve, to teach, and also to touch. Did you notice that? This isn't just abstract stuff. It was personal, that Jesus came and he lived in the flesh and that God himself took on flesh to touch our lives in the flesh in real time on planet Earth. You remember Jesus would touch people that no one else would. He touched the leper. He touched the outcast. And they were never the same. He wants us touching other people's lives in that way as well. We're just a whole lot like Jesus when we do that. So he came to save and to serve, to teach and to touch. And he also came to suffer. That was no secret. And he came to suffer for the cause of truth and right. He suffered for our sins. And you know what? You and I, if we follow him closely, we may suffer. We may be persecuted. I know there are preachers out there saying, just trust Jesus. And by the way, send an offering to them, right? And you'll never have problems. You'll never be sick. That's not what Jesus taught. That's not what the apostles taught. I want to just go by what this word says. Jesus said, I'm going to tell you up front, in the world you're going to have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Right? And you're going to overcome it too. But you're going to go through. I'm going to go with you through the tribulation. There's times he may take us around. But if you go through, aren't you glad that he's going through with you? And he said that. You know, I don't know if everybody remembers, but during the summer and late summer and fall, we preached verse by verse all the way through the book of First Peter. It's a series called Hope Alive. And so maybe you'll remember this, uh, where he told us this. Speaking to Christians who were suffering, he said, Beloved, in First Peter 4, 12, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. He says, when some bad thing happens, don't be freaking out like some weird thing has happened. He said, this is normal. Anybody got any fiery trials? The fire purifies, doesn't it? Here's what he said. Next verse, verse 13. But rejoice. All right, so I'm not to be shocked. I'm not to panic. I'm actually to have joy and let the joy come out of me. That's rejoicing. He says, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. So this means Christ suffered, and if I'm suffering because of my faith, then I'm just suffering like Jesus did. And just as Jesus suffered, Jesus is glorified. I'm going to be glorified with him someday. Just as sure as you're suffering, you're going to experience glory. That ought to be an encouragement. He says, and, and be glad with exceeding joy. And if you remember when we taught through that, that word literally means it indicates somebody jumping up and down. Like a kid does when they're overjoyed. I just can't contain myself. Over suffering? I'm telling you, only God can give you that. Russell Moore said this, something the church needs to hear. He said, if the world rejects us because of Christ and him crucified, so much worse for the world. 
If the world rejects us because they think Christ is just a mascot for what we would already be doing and supporting, even if Jesus were still dead, then God have mercy on us, end quote. And I worry about that. I worry we have our causes and we have our thing and Jesus is just the mascot. God help us if that's true. He came to save and to serve and to teach and to touch, to suffer and to send. And to send. To send his church into the world and through them let his light shine through us into every area of darkness. You would say Christ accomplished the mission, but I could say, who am I? And what is so important about me being sent? I'm just me, and I'm probably a bigger problem than I'm a help. Well, your work is also indispensable. This is how amazing and powerful he is. He can take messed up lives like ours and still use them for his glory and to impact other people. Amen. How is the work that Jesus has done going to impact and change people around us? Jesus has already come. He's already died on the cross for the sins of the world. And he's defeated sin and death in the grave. And has been resurrected and ascended to the Father's right hand. He's soon coming back. He has already done that. He's already paid the price. He offers salvation as a gift. He's already done the work. How's that going to impact and change people around us? It's not unless they know about it. It's not unless they see it's real. How are they going to see it's real? How are they going to know? Through us. That's how. How will people proclaim this? Unless they are equipped and if they are, unless they are sent. Aren't you glad in Romans chapter 10, Paul said in verse 13, Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's that simple. If you're not sure about your salvation, you trust the Lord. You call on his name. You ask him to save. You confess you're a sinner. You repent of your sin and you trust Christ with all your heart of what he did on the cross and the power of his resurrection to save you. You'll be saved. That's a promise from scripture. You say, well, I don't feel. No, it's not based on feeling. It's based on scripture. We'll be saved. Then he says, but how can people call on him? In verse 14, how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? Now, I like the New Living Translation there, too, because in some it says unless, you know, uh, they preach. Well, we get the idea that it's just preacher's job. But when he's saying preach, he says proclaim or tell. Is what that word means. So it applies to all of us. So I like the way they translate it. And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will, verse 15, anyone go and tell them without being sent? That's why the scriptures say, How beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring good news. Then he goes on to say, So then, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. That's what people need is the word of God. How are they going to know if we don't share? How are they going to know if we don't live it out in front of them? Jesus was willing to forego heaven itself and to come to earth as the perfect God-man, the perfect mediator. And he did not return to the splendor of heaven until he could say, I have finished the work that you have given me to do. May we do the same. I'm going to quote Spurgeon again because he said so many awesome things. He said this, because we want to, you know, hey, I long for heaven. Hey, that's great. I like to sing songs about it. But here's, listen to what Spurgeon said 150 years ago. He said, we must not sigh for heaven while so much work is to be done on earth. 
The rest of glory will come soon, but just now we have to do the work of grace. Let us stick to our work here below and do it thoroughly well, for our Lord has gone above and is preparing a place for us. Amen. End quote. Isn't that powerful? Isn't that true? Isn't it wonderful that God denied himself and came, denied himself in order to do what was necessary to save us? And he's still sending us. He is still sending us today. God, may he give us the grace to just be equipped. And part of being sent is being here to be equipped and be prepared to go out and let the light shine. You're going to go through struggles. You're going to go through problems. That's because you're real. And one of the ways you're a witness is as people you know get to see you go through and mess up and overcome and grow. They're going to notice something's changed with the way you talk, with the way you live. They're going to be curious about it. That we give lost men, women, boys, and girls the opportunity to receive this gift that's already been paid for. As long as there are lost people in our families and among our friends in our community or any tribe or any village in any corner of the world, Christ desires you and I as sent ones to get that message out there. I'm going to tell a little story as we close. There's a story, and it's just a story. It's not in the Bible. Okay? That recounts the return of Christ to glory after his time on earth. Even in heaven, he bore the marks of his earthly pilgrimage with his cruel cross and shameful death. One of the angels approached him and said, Master, you must have suffered terribly for men down there. And he replied that, yes, he did. Gabriel said, and do they know and appreciate how much you love them and what you did for them? Jesus said, oh no, not yet. Right now, only a handful of people in Palestine know about it. Gabriel was perplexed and he said, then what have you done to let everyone know about your love for them in the whole world? And Jesus said, well, I've asked Peter, James, John, and a few more friends to tell others about me. And those who are told will then tell others in turn about me. And then my story will spread to the farthest, to the farthest reaches of the globe. Ultimately, all of mankind will have heard about my life and what I have done. Gabriel frowned and looked rather skeptical. He said, well, you know what poor stuff men are made of. And he said, yes. And Gabriel said, What if Peter and James and John grow weary? What if the people who come after them forget? What if way down the line in, say, the 21st century, people just worry about themselves and they don't tell others about you? Haven't you made any other plans? And Jesus answered, I haven't made any other plans. I'm counting on them. 21 centuries later, folks, he's still counting on on us the ones he's saved the ones who have heard are the ones he's sending it's still God's plan high on God's to-do list is the mission the evangelization of the world his early disciples adopted his priorities and devoted themselves to reaching the world Christ counted on them and they delivered how about us in the last days we don't slow down We need to step on it. 
because time's running out. And with everything else that's going on, the main thing is people need to know there's good news and deliverance and salvation and hope and eternal life. Pray with me.